Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. You know, I really wonder if churchgoers believe that. I mean, really. I really wonder if churchgoers believe what Jesus just said right there. We've heard it. If you've ever been around church much or maybe you've read the New Testament ever, you've heard phrases like this. But I really wonder if we understand that Jesus wasn't joking. He really did mean it. When you read the New Testament, you start to see that Jesus had a lot to say about persecution. He had a lot to say about people persecuting you. And it's a whole way different from religion. Today we're going to talk a lot about the idea of religion and what it means to stand up in a time of pressure. Because I can tell you this, it's a very simple thought, but I can promise you, I've watched it happen and I've seen it even in the scriptures over and over and over again. If you are religious, you'll run when pressure comes. If you're just religious, you're going to run. If, if you're just religious, you're not going to hold up under pressure. You're not going to hold up under a, a culture that is constantly coming at you for what you believe. If you're just religious, you'll run. Jesus is talking here not to churchgoers. He's talking to disciples. And there's a difference between being a churchgoer and being a disciple. They're not the same thing. They're really not. Today in our Navigating uh, Strange Days series, if you're a guest, maybe you're watching at home for the first time or you're watching on YouTube and, and you're just checking out who is clear of you, let me tell you what we're doing. We're doing a, 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 call, a series called Navigating Strange Days and we're taking Bible characters, people that were real flesh and blood just like you, they were real people who encountered really strange situations and learning, well, what did they do? How did they navigate it? And today, we're going to look in Daniel chapter 3 at a group of men, uh, three guys with some very strange names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Spell it, I dare you. Um, it, 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 these, these three guys, fascinating story. I, I really love everything about, this is one of my all-time favorite Bible stories, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a simple story. We're going to talk today about what Jesus just said. We're going to talk about what to do when my faith comes under pressure. What to do when my faith comes under pressure. And, 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 and so what I, what I want to focus on specifically is the, the idea behind, you know, by the way, this is one of my favorite ways to study the Bible. I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, I love looking at people in the Bible that got it right or got it wrong. And either way, there's a lot to take away from that. And so I love looking at, at what did they do? Because these stories, let me tell you something about the Word of God, you guys. The Word of God is complete and it is without error. 
Everything you need for life and godliness, the scripture says, is right here. So we know that every story that's in this book, there's millions of stories that never made it to what we call the canon. All right? There's millions of stories that never made it. But the stories that did make it are there for a reason. And this particular story of three very real men has a lot to teach us about what to do when our faith comes under pressure. And so what I want to do today, I guess I could say it easily uh, looking like as this question, what does their stance back then teach us about our stance today? That's, that's really what we're doing. What does their stance back then teach us about our stance today? So let's read Daniel chapter 3. And let me tell you what's going on. I'm going to give you a little context, okay? There is a really, like, neurotic king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, this, this guy is as impulsive and weirdo as they come. And he's also ruthless at times. So, I mean, this, this guy is one of those, you know, uh, I remember when I was a kid in the 80s, I used to go to uh, bed uh, in, in 19, I remember 19, early 1980s, I was, a, 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 you know, a teenager and and I would be praying to God all the time that President Reagan, uh, I would pray, God, please don't let President Reagan hit the button tonight. You know, I mean, like if he just wakes up in a really bad mood, you know, and he's mad at Gorbachev, like just, just bring them restraint. You know, that was the, you know, the worst movie ever created was The Day After. Did you, oh, I heard somebody go, oh, I, I couldn't sleep for like a year after that, right? If some of you don't even remember, that was a made-for-television movie. It's the worst thing. It, it made Red Dawn look like, you know, Sound of Music or something. It was, it, 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 but I, I can tell you it brought anxiety to me. And, and this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, he was that way. You just never knew what he was going to do. So, so here's what happens. Nebuchadnezzar is a king, and he has the, some of his closest cabinet members have made a decree and, or a, a law. A federal law. And that federal law is this, that, that when the trumpet plays and the bagpipes play, and all, when you hear the music, they had built a 90-foot statue in his likeness, right? And so every time that you are to hear the music, you are to bow down and worship. That's the law. So there's some people that say, uh, hey, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, oh, great king, uh, just a heads up. There's, there's three Jews that every time the music's played and the bagpipes go off and the, all the instruments go down, like the, these guys don't hit the floor. They don't do it. And just so you know, I mean, just, you know, I'm not telling on them, but, you know, it's kind of, they didn't like these guys. So Nebuchadnezzar brings them in. And in Daniel chapter 3, verse 14 it says, actually, we'll start in verse 13. It says, Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men were brought before the king. Now, let me tell you, that is not like being summoned to the governor or the mayor, or in this day, that may be your last day. And if he, if he straight up kills these guys, nobody's saying a word about it. They're going to move on to lunch. You know, what's for dinner kind of stuff. And this, they, this is, they didn't play around back then. And so, verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he brings them in, and he, and he responded, and he said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I've set up? Now, and then he does something kind of unique. I mean, there's a moment of mercy here. He says, Now, if you're ready, in other words, okay, I'm going to give you one more shot at this gig, right? Which is kind of nice, actually. 
At the moment you hear the horn, the flute, the lyre, the, you know, the salt, the bagpipe, all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And then here comes this question. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Wow. Boy. See, in that moment, I'm going to try to invoke Elijah on him. Right? I'm going to try to call down some fire from heaven and just prove to all of them, my God's bigger. But they did. that's why I'm not in the Bible. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. All right. So, because, you know, you talk to me like that. I'm, I grew up in Tennessee, and it's just a different deal. Um, so he says what God's going to deliver you. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to him, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Now, let me tell you what that means. That means, hey, listen, we, we really don't have much to say here. I mean, this could be a short meeting if you want it to be. It, if it be so, I mean, if you throw us into the fire, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us, verse 17, our God is able to deliver us from the furnace of the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So what does Nebuchadnezzar do? He has an aneurysm. I mean, he just, you know what? So this is what he ends up doing. He, he, he not only has the furnace going, but he gets the furnace so hot that what they, 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 they bind him up, they put hands on their, you know, they, they, they chain him up, they get him all tied up, and the furnace is so hot, he, 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 makes, uh, he makes some of his soldiers add so much wood to it that I think it even says it's like seven times hotter. The flames were so strong of heat that the men that threw them into the fire died. I mean, this is, that's a hot fire, right? So let's pick it up in verse 24. So he throws them into the fire, still tied up, verse 24. And then Nebuchadnezzar, so he's watching. And the king was astounded and he stood up. So he's obviously, he's sitting down like, I mean, I don't know if this is like, hey, it's a good movie, let's watch it. I mean, really, it says he stood up, so it must have mean he sat down and, you know, just watching them be martyred. And, and it says, he stands up in haste, and he said to his officials, was it not three men we cast into the midst of the fire? And they said, certainly, O king. He said, well, look, I see four men loosed, walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth one is like the son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire, and he responded, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out. You servants of the Most High God, come here. Boy, he's changed his tune, hadn't he, from verse 16, verse 14, rather. Come out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's high officials, they gathered around, and they saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, and nor had the smell of fire even come on them. And Nebuchadnezzar responded, and he said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree to that, or that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'll be torn limb to limb. Boy, this guy liked to mess up people, didn't he? Um, 
torn limb to limb, and, and their house is reduced to rust. So he didn't just come after you. He's going to level your house too. Inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. And the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. It's a very simple story. It's a really simple story. And, and here's the heart of it. The heart of it is government compliance. It really is. The heart of it is there's a federal law in place. And, 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 and so they're, they're having to deal with it. They're, they're having to, to deal with this issue of a new government edict of who to worship, where to worship, and, and what to worship. And by the way, I just, I, I just want you to know, you may have heard me say this, but, but you need to know the reason that me and so many pastors across this nation have taken the stance we took on COVID and continuing to worship, it, it lines up with this, and here's why, and today's not about all that. I'm just telling you, this is the reason. You see, for what you may not understand as, as people that are, on, uh, that are going to, to churches and you don't see behind the curtain, one of the things that all of us that are ministers of the gospel, the reason that we won't stop meeting has actually nothing to do with COVID. It has to do with the fact that there has never been, nor can there ever be, any time where a federal entity can tell me anything about the God I worship. Amen. Ever. There just can't be that. And it doesn't matter what the issue is. The issue's not COVID. The issue is that there is no outside voice that can tell me when to worship, where to worship, and how to worship. It just can't be. And the issue's irrelevant. Now, you would say, well, then, Jason, then why did, why did we go online at times? Why did we morph at times? Well, we're trying to be good citizens. We're, we're, we're trying to help. We're trying not to be mavericks. We're trying, trying to think through it and have some of you are watching over in the chapel right now, and that's fine. We wear a mask over there. Go for it. I mean, we're, we're, we're not tone deaf, but we're not stopping. And we're not stopping because it, it's, it's irrelevant of the issue. It's irrelevant of the issue. There's coming a day, friends. I told you in a, a few sermons ago, like, like you remember, but I, I, I told you a, a several weeks ago that what you're watching happen right now in America is there was a time up until the 70s where Christianity was at the center of every community. And then in the 80s and 90s, it became more on the periphery of the community. But now, evangelical Christianity is becoming the enemy of culture. And there's coming a day when it's going to look a lot more like Daniel 3 than you're ready for. And that's why I say I wonder if most Christians understand what we're going to be up against. Let me tell you, Jesus meant it when he said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. Now, hate's a long way from disagreeing. Hate is a long way from they're not going to like you. Jesus went so far as to say they're going to pull you in front of courts and they're going to kill you. Jesus wasn't joking. So what do we do when our faith comes under intense pressure? Well, there's, there's probably 20 or 30 uh, things we could say that would be good action items. But we, we want to take them for what? What did Daniel, what happened in Daniel? What did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what did they do? Because we don't want to just take ideas from the outside in. We take ideas from the inside out. What did these men of God do? So when you're under pressure, I'm going to give you one 
cornerstone truth to build your life around. And it's going to sound really simple, but I believe with all my heart that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego truly grasped this truth. And that is, remember that your life is not your own. Now, I told you a while ago that that a disciple is not a churchgoer. Did you hear me? Because if you're just religious, you'll run. If you're just religious, you'll run. But a disciple is not a churchgoer. A churchgoer is somebody that's looking for religion, for moral support, and, and, and to make it better. And listen, by the way, just so you know, like the last thing I want to do is pick a fight with any government. I mean, I kind of like living. You know, it's not, a, it's not a bad idea to keep on living. And the, and the Bible tells me as far as it depends on me to live at peace with everyone, and, and I'm going to do that. But there, there are places that I will not bend. And it doesn't, it's not because I'm a preacher. It's not because I pastor a, a great church, and I do. I mean, you guys are great most of the time. And, and that, was, that was pretty good. You didn't, you didn't get that. Um, but no, really, I mean, this is a wonderful place to be. I really like my job. I like being here. I, I love being around you guys. And, and it's, but it actually, it's not about that at all. It's about Jason who took on the name of Jesus. And when I took on the name of Christ, I realized that at that moment, my life wasn't my own. And, and this is something I want you to understand about why this matters so much in, in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're just going to call them the three, so I don't have to keep saying those weird names every time. The, 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 the three guys, here's what they understood. They understood that they weren't yielding because life was more than about that moment. You see, I, I don't lose sight of this simple fact. Don't lose sight of this. is a big deal. Don't lose sight of the fact that they didn't know how the story was going to end. Don't, don't get lost on that. I mean, we tell this story right now. You know, it, kids hear about it. Uh, you know, uh, backyard kids clubs hear about it. People like you. It's, 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 a, it's a famous story in Scripture. We know the back end. Oh, we're going to stand up like Shadrach. There's even songs, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know, there's all this stuff, you know. They didn't know the end of the story. They're in a man's office in the middle of the day when everybody else is at work. And he says, I'm giving you one more shot. Strike up the band. And they said, you can strike it up all day. I'm not doing that. It was a quiet moment. Very few people were around. And they didn't know how it was going to end. But I'll tell you what they did know. They did know that God was sovereign. Did you pick up on that? Did you pick up on what they said? Hey, hey, by the way, King, you know, God's able to deliver us from this. He really is. So when you're faced under pressure and you're standing in the sales meeting or, or sometimes they're asking you to, to violate something in the conscience of your faith in your job, you remember something, Christian. God is sovereign. He is bigger than your paycheck. If you really do believe that the Lord controls the revenue stream of your life, then you may be called on to test that. If you really believe that. Who who pays your bills? Is it your employer? Or is it the God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills, says the Psalms? And it's easy to amen that on a Sunday, but it's really difficult when you're staring into the eyes of the CEO. It's hard. It is hard. So they knew that God was sovereign, but they also understood, I think, and this is just me looking at their lives, I really believe that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood a very simple principle, that you must die 
Let me tell you something. I know this isn't a lot of great fun to talk about, but I want to, I want to tell you something, man. Woman, child, boy, girl, anybody listening podcast, you know, five months from now, you, unless Jesus splits the eastern sky, which is roughly that way, unless Jesus splits that sky in my lifetime, I am going to die. And so are you. No getting around that. So let me tell you something. What a way to go, man. I mean, this is, their story was way better than just being like, you know, 104 and dying in your sleep. Seriously, if you're going to go, let me go like that, man. Tied up, yelling back at the king, turn it up, right? Let's get it over with, you know? I mean, seriously, I don't know what's going to happen to me if this ever happens to me in that moment, but, man, I, I want to be like these guys. I want to be that, that true, that true to the faith. And, you know, Jesus alluded to even this, friends. Look at what Jesus said in Luke 12. Jesus said, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one whom after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And this is a long way from Jesus in the long flowing blonde hair and the blue eyes reaching down, handing kids some pomegranates, isn't it? See, I think we look at the sides of Jesus that we like, and we don't know what to think about sides like that. But Jesus said, be ready. You see, if you're just religious, you're going to run. So what do we do? When, you, when I say remember that your life is not your own, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood, I don't own the rights to me. They were faithful in the moment of pressure. And so I would lift out of this story a simple truth to pass on to you, and that is be obsessed with obedience and not deliverance. I'm telling you, listen to me, friends. When your faith comes under pressure at work, at school, students, when your faith comes under pressure, listen to me, be obsessed with obedience, not deliverance. They weren't yelling out and crying out, for deliverance. They weren't. You see, if you're just religious, you'll run. And this is a very important point right here. This is a very important point because if you're just religious, you're going to cave under pressure. Notice I told you that there's a difference between being a disciple and a churchgoer. Look at what Jesus said in Mark, in the gospel of Mark, verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 34. He said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must what? One, deny himself. Your life is not your own. Deny himself. Take up your cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Let me tell you something. You don't hear that talked about a whole lot in a religious retail environment. Oh, you, you hear a lot about we've got to deny self and we've got to make you know church a priority. We're not talking about church attendance, friends. I'm talking about Living for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to be willing to deny yourself. A churchgoer is not a disciple. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew their life wasn't their own. There's a, there's a really popular verse in Christianity. You hear it all the time. You see it on walls. I go in people's homes. And, I, and it's a great verse, man. It's a great verse, and people cling to it. They build their hope around it. And, and I think that's great, but I want... I want to tell you, I think it's one of the most misapplied 
or maybe I should say, it is the most partially understood, maybe, I wouldn't know if it's number one, but it's in the top five of partially understood verses in the New Testament. People look at it for half of what it's worth. And it applies to our faith under pressure. When we are to be consumed with obedience and not deliverance. It's Romans 8.28. Many of you could quote it. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. See, we leave out those last two words. So often when people quote Romans 8, they're going through a hard time. They're going through a time of pressure or maybe life's not going well. They're going through a, maybe you've gone through a bad breakup or, or maybe, maybe you've lost a job or maybe your, your, your commissions are down. And, and, and because your commissions are down, you're, you're, there's a lot more month left over at the end of the money. And, you know, and, and, and it, it's getting tough. It's getting tougher. And, and so people say, well, I know that all things work together for the good for those that love God. And what, 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 in, in effect, what Christians are saying in those moments is, no, I know this is going to be for my good, and I know what I'm going through, that God's, God's good, and, and, and all of that is true. But don't finish the sentence. Finish the sentence. All things work together for the good to those who are called according to his purpose, not my relief. You see, what we often do so, so many times in life is, is we look for relief. And by the way, relief's a good thing. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm railing against relief. I, I mean, relief is a good thing. I don't want pain any more than anybody else. But I want to tell you something, friends. God's biggest heart issue, God's heartbeat, his motive, his deepest desire is not to make your life easier easier. God's biggest desire is that his name is brought glory. God loves you. Absolutely. Oh my stars. He, he, he sent his son to die for you. He, sent, he came out of the grave. He sent the power of the, the Holy Spirit but we, I'm telling you, in Western Christianity, in America, you would, if you watched how churches operate and if you listened to how Christians talk, you would pretty much come to the conclusion that God's biggest fear in life is that you might have a bad day. And I'm telling you, God's kingdom purpose matters more to him than your comfort. It really does. And that doesn't make him mean, by the way. You know why? God has a very simple understanding that you are going to die. This world was never meant to be your home. Stop acting like it is. So when we're called according to his purpose, if you look at the history of God, and if you look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, one of the things we see that we serve a loving God and a compassionate God, but we have a God who has a historical habit of letting his people suffer. Why would he do that? Because his kingdom matters more than your comfort. And when you suffer, and when you go through difficult times, it is a, listen to me, it is a neon sign in a dark world saying that this person lives differently. That's why you hear about the martyrs when you read the book of martyrs or when you study martyrs in history. It's why you see 
that many of them said, I'm humbled that I would be counted worthy to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we all have to die. I want you to notice something about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Notice that God did not keep them out of the fire. He met them in it. He met them in it. God is willing to let you go through fire times, but he will meet you in it. And sometimes him meeting you is like he met Stephen when the clouds opened and Stephen's face shone like the sun as they were hitting him with big rocks to kill him. For this light and momentary trouble is momentary, as Paul says. It is momentary. But if you're just religious, you're going to run. If you're just religious, you're going to run. Be obsessed with obedience, not, not deliverance. How does this apply to us in, in America right now? Man, listen. <laughs> it's, it's no secret in this room. It's no secret, I think, anywhere in America that... that I, I, look at, I look at the country that I was born in and I realized it's not the country that I live in. And it's, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, change, there's a lot of things that needed changing and always need changing and I'm, I'm all for change. And, but there, I, think, I think it would be safe to say that regardless of what your political bent may be, it's pretty chaotic right now culturally in America. I mean, you see all kinds of confusion and chaos. You've got, I mean, I, these are just a few images. I mean, only maybe, uh, maybe one-tenth of one-thousandth. I mean, you've got, you've got causes and cancel cultures, and, and you've got uh, all kinds of issues based around the Bill of Rights, and, and, and you, you've got people shouting and screaming on, on every level. And, and so let me tell you what's happening in the body of Christ. I hear it in some of you. I, I hear it in some of my friends. Uh, every pastor I talk to is experiencing the same thing, man. I'm telling you, coast to coast, uh, you know, uh, probably pastors are talking in the last 12 months, maybe more than we've ever talked, figuring out, hey, what are you doing? Like, you know, what are you doing with the crazy? Like all, all the chaos, how are you handling it? And so, so I'm, I'm having a, a better bandwidth, maybe a better pulse of what's going on in, in, on my side of the fence in my job. And, and, and it's, it's, listen, coast to coast, it's, it's the same stuff. There's a lot of chaos. And in, in, in the body of Christ, there's a lot of panic. There's a lot of panic. And I think a lot of the panic and a lot of the frustration and a lot of the, a lot of the worry and a lot of the fear is, is we're, we're looking at our country and we're seeing a lot of stuff, man, that we're, we're doing the math and we're playing the dominoes out. And if this continues, it's going to get really bad. And my response to that is, amen. Read the last book. Read the last book. And I'm not being cavalier. I'm not saying, please don't hear that. I'm not saying like, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not, not, no, really. See, I think we all heard these stories and we read these stories. We just never really dreamed that we would have to live these stories, right? And so now you've got government agencies looking down and we're doing the math going, hey, if this trend keeps up, like, 
Am I going to be the one that Jesus said when they haul you in front of the courts and in that hour you'll know what to do and don't worry? I mean, do I really want to? Wow, what do I do? And I want to say to you, Christian friend, I believe what's happening within the body of Christ in many ways, and it, it's a normal response. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't. It makes you a human one of the responses, I think maybe the prevalent response I see in a lot of Christians is a misplaced hope in, in a misplaced kingdom. There's, in all these chaos, we, we you know, you, you got conservative evangelicals that have felt like, especially in the wake of the last election, that if we could just keep a Republican in office, it'll all be okay. And it won't. You're, I don't care who you put in office. It doesn't matter who you put in office. I mean, our world has been moving this way for a long time. And here's what we fear. We fear if all these causes keep going. And, and this, these are just a smattering. I could probably put super, uh, what's that, the QAnon thing? I could put that up there all the way to like some other, you know, uh, crazy liberal Area 51 Martian thing. You know, I mean, there's all these competing theories for America right now and all the stuff that's going on and and. and we're fearing that, that if we lose our freedom, our voices are going to be muted and our, our liberties are going to vanish. And, and, and really, it's no different than exactly what the Jews wanted in Jesus. You see, if you read the New Testament, what you're going to find is his disciples were even constantly asking him, Hey, Lord, when are you going to set up your kingdom? Let me tell you what they meant by that. Hey, when are you coming in? If this were modern day, this is, what, this is, this is how that would go. I'm going to, this is, okay, I'm going to step out of the pulpit for a minute because this, this may not be anointed. But let me, let, me, let, me, let, me tell you, let me tell you what this would be. If, if in that question, hey, Lord, when are you going to set up your kingdom? If that was 2021, let me translate that currently for you. Hey, Jesus, when are you smacking all the liberals? Like, when are you coming off the top rope with a flying suflex? You know, whammo. For, that's for Alexis Cruz and his WWE love, MMA stuff. When are you going to do that? They, they wanted the Romans dead because the Romans took over their nation. They invaded their country. I, when are you going to kill the Romans? Please tell us when we can take up arms. And that's why Jesus was such a disappointment to the Jews. He was a huge disappointment to them. What the Jews were looking for was a Messiah that could set up heaven on earth. Listen to me, conservative Christian. The Jews were looking for a Messiah that, ooh, if we could just get the right king, man, we could set up Sabbath, and if they don't honor it, they have to move to, like, I don't know, Romania. If we could set up our schools and we could finally get this country where it's supposed to be and we could have all the... And, and, and Jesus is looking at him going, uh, I didn't know the Romans... The, 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 the Romans aren't your enemy. I mean, they're an enemy, yeah, of you because you're, you're politically bent this way and they're politically bent that way and the Greeks are politically bent this way and the pagans are politically bent that way. And, and, and so, yeah, you're all fighting with each other. But Jesus went all the way around that and he said, that's not your biggest enemy. 
Your biggest enemy isn't political people that don't agree with you. Your biggest enemy is sin. Your biggest enemy is yourself. Your biggest enemy is not heaven on earth. Because he said over and over again, heaven and earth will pass away. And then there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And and he preaches about a restored kingdom. And and so when I say a misplaced hope and a misplaced kingdom, what I want you to understand, Christian, is please hear me that right now, a lot of the anxiety that many of you feel is because there was no political camp that was, regardless of what camp it is, there's no political ideology that was ever meant to be your peace giver. Ever. Ever. And I'm going to tell you, it's not that I'm not saying we shouldn't have rights we stand up for. Listen, man, my granddaddy went across Normandy Beach. My two uncles fought in Vietnam in heavy combat. I come from a family of people that fought for this country. And listen, I mean, there's things worth fighting for. But in the end, read the last book. All of these things have to happen so that the end will come. And then Jesus will come. And if you're just religious, you're going to run because religion won't hold up. Are you, are you hearing me? It won't hold up. So what do we do? What do we do? I've even had some of you call me saying, what do we do? I, and I remember this one friend of mine, he had a, I said, yeah, I know how you're feeling. Like you're in, The internal struggle, even that I feel sometimes, is... Should I give my life to prayer and intercession, or should I start like a Paul Revere militia? Like, I really don't know. Depends on the day. I mean, you know, I don't know. And and he's like, yeah. Like, I know it's a struggle. If you're just religious, you're going to run. So what do we do? Well, this is going to sound way out of left, right, or center field. I I might could give you 17 different practical steps of what to do. Maybe what you could do or maybe what you should do, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you one foundational truth that you must do. You have to ask yourself, am I religious or am I redeemed? Because there's a difference. Religion will not hold up under pressure, but redemption will. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could stand up in the face of pressure because they were redeemed. And many of you, some of you watching from home, you know, you know what your greatest problem is? You are religious. You are. Morality matters to you. Ethics matter to you. Biblical principles matter to you. Many of you, some of the ones that are in the greatest danger on Judgment Day are not the people that are outside this place. Some of those in the greatest danger on Judgment Day, when you will stand before God with nobody, not your mom, not your dad, not your pastor, not your boss, not your money, not your 401k, not all your asset portfolio, you're going to stand before God with zero, nothing, nothing. 
And some of the greatest people in this world that are in danger are not those that are outside the church. It's many of you that were raised in it. You were raised in it and you're religious, but you are not redeemed. If you're just religious, you're going to run. But if you're redeemed, you'll hold up. Because redemption holds up when religion will fail you. And that's what you're seeing even today in the body of Christ. And you're going to keep seeing it. As the days go on till the skies split, friends, it's going to become more and more clear who is religious and who's redeemed. You know, you often don't think about sharing something with somebody like a tweet or an email or sending them a sermon or sending them a podcast. You don't often think of that as missions, but it is. It's not that you have to send it to the whole world or post every single thing we do at Clearview on your feed. But if if you've heard a sermon or if you've listened to a podcast, think through your life. I mean, God, who needs to hear this? Sometimes it, it, it doesn't need to go on your Facebook page. Sometimes it needs to go on your Twitter, but sometimes just a simple text to one person can make all the difference in the world to sending them the Word of God in real time. Share it. You'd be surprised how far it goes.